0: Hi, today is uh, first in a series of uh, episodes I'm doing, looking at some of the uh, emerging trends and technologies that we're seeing in the IT industry. Uh, first of all, we're going to have a look at object storage. So uh, object storage is a storage technology uh, that we're seeing a lot more interest in and uh, seeing grow, uh, and used in a lot more instances now. And it's a, it's a technology that that lots of people may have heard of, but don't fully understand uh, what object storage is and, and why maybe object storage is a, is a technology of interest. Uh, so I thought what I'd do is, uh, is get together today with, uh, with an expert on the topic. So I'm very fortunate to be joined by uh, Robert Cox. Hi, Robert. Hi, Paul. Hi, good to have you with us today. And um, would you like to give us a, a little bit of an introduction on, uh, on who you are, where you work, and what it is you do.
1: Yeah, sure. Um, So I work for NetApp. We're a data storage and management company based in Sunnyvale, California. That's where I am today, here in Sunnyvale. And I do um, product marketing for NetApp's uh, object-based storage solution, storage grid web scale.
0: Great stuff. So uh, yeah, myself and Robert, we're working across uh, time zones and uh, and awkward technologies for today, trying to make <laughs> trying to make this uh, this interview happen. So Robert, if you could uh, maybe give us just a little bit of an overview on what object storage is and uh, maybe how it works as well, just for just for those who maybe aren't familiar.
1: Yeah, sure, Paul. Um, yeah, you know, let's start with the uh, what and the why. You know, of object storage and you know, object storage is it's relatively new. Um, in the storage industry and in the market segment, um, but it's continuing to grow and starting to find uh, more reasons for adoption in companies of all sizes, uh, from startups to enterprises. You know, one of the big pioneers in object storage is actually Amazon Web Services. You know, they certainly weren't the first, but you know, the number of objects stored in the world right now is the highest in Amazon's simple storage service or S3, which is the name of the service that they provide. And it's also the name of the API that basically everybody has settled on. So when people talk about object storage today, you'll hear S3 very often. And an interesting observation uh, is that object storage on premises, meaning in a company's data center, is actually growing at a faster rate than object storage at the hyperscalers like Amazon, but also Microsoft Azure and IBM software. As a storage topic, object storage is really heating up. To answer your question though, Paul, you know what is an object storage? Object stores are used to hold large volumes of unstructured data, where each object is essentially a file given a unique ID number with more options for metadata or descriptive tags. And addition to file type metadata, like you'd get the date created and date modified. With object storage, you can store additional metadata like expiration dates and object protection requirements, as well as descriptive tags about the object, like the name of actors in a movie. Uh, So file systems store information in a hierarchical file structure, right? So you have like your drive name, your file name, sometimes you have a subfile name, then the name of the file. And in many ways, a file system is like a parking garage. You know, when you park your car in a parking garage, you have to know which parking garage you parked in, you know, on what level, uh, in what space, right? That's how a file system works. It stores information in this hierarchical structure And you need all that information in layers to get that file back. You know, an object store, it works more like valet parking. You know, you pull up to the valet, you get a ticket with a unique ID number, you hop out and leave your car. When you want your car back, you present your unique ID number and you get your car back. And this is how an object store system works. Your file, which might be a PDF or an image, could be a video, could be machine sensor data, whatever, it's given a unique object ID, and it's stored in a database. So when you want to get that data back, your application simply uses that unique ID to retrieve or get the data. And it turns out, you know, storing unstructured data in this way is very efficient and provides many advantages over uh, a file system.
0: That's a really interesting overview of how uh, object storage works. Why do we have object storage? And so w- what is it that file systems aren't delivering that's allowing this kind of metadata driven uh, faster search kind of capability storage? What, what are we, uh, why is object storage kind of having, uh, why is object storage having the impact that it is?
1: Yeah, you know, the benefit of using of storage over traditional storage is, is multifold, but it comes down to it's easier and faster for managing massive scale of storage meaning you know multiple petabytes tens of petabytes and it's better for multiple sites as well and better for long term data availability like say multiple decades and you know we could kind of explore you know each of those more if you want
0: yeah i think that would be useful because um you know, because obviously traditional storage has, uh, you know, been around, been traditional for, for some time. Um, and, and so why is it that traditional storage is not as um, not as useful at making, you know, kind of this long-term date retention and, and these massive, uh, kind of massive capacities of data?
1: You know, so for an increasing number of workloads like we're talking about here, the traditional file server you know, may have outlived its usefulness. Um, file servers were designed in an era where most employees were in a single location, Right, uh, road warriors and geo dispersed teams were rare occurrences. And the only files being created were generated by office productivity files. You know, now many organizations have employees all over the world. Road warriors are commonplace and machines, sensor data, think Internet of Things, generate far more data than users ever will. You know, so data is now the digital currency and standard file server is ill equipped to meet the requirements of the decentralized modern data center. And so, you know, what happens with the uh, traditional file systems, you get silos of data. And I can kind of talk to this with a, you know, a real c- customer example. So NetApp has this customer, um, they provide a photo printing service, right, so you take pictures on your digital camera or on your phone, and you want to get hard copies, you want to get them printed out, or maybe you want them put on a T-shirt or on a mug, they provide that type of service. And they had uh, five data centers across the United States. Each data center was running its own file system, and they had a huge database that was kind of acting as the brain that kept track of all the photos that they were storing, and they were storing millions of photos. You can imagine hundreds of thousands of people using their service and each of them having hundreds of photos, uh, for example. And it led to a lot of challenges on which photo is stored where, in which data center, in which silo. Uh, The database for managing all of these photos became very large and time consuming to uh, search through it. when they needed to expand and grow, it became very difficult to, you know, add to the existing database uh, and the ex- existing file systems there, because you know everything is in a separate silo, and so you know you're, you're having to make replicas from one location to another for disaster recovery, and it gets, you know, it's. Very time-consuming and manual to try and keep track of all the different copies and versions of the photos that they had. So they knew they needed to go to a change and and what they decided to go to was an object store and that gave them one global namespace. So instead of having five separate file system silos, now they had one global namespace that all five data centers could essentially share and they you know, changed their access from a file access to using S3. So that was a change they had to make in their application. But now they had that global namespace, they could add capacity, and it would just be added into the global namespace, and it simplified the management and the use of that very large photo uh, repository.
0: So it sounds like, actually, from way you're describing that, that... In this kind of world where uh, you know we 're generating more and more data and we need to be able to use our data in more and more places um, that we 've really um, probably really reached a kind of a lot of the limitations that we would see in traditional storage for this kind of massive uh, you know, massive storage requirements um, and particularly this idea where we might be storing that over multiple locations i mean is that fair? Have, have we done that
1: yeah certainly. Um... Multiple locations is now becoming more and more the norm. Um, Just like you and I today are working across the uh, the globe and and, uh, object stores really help solve that problem when you have more than two locations.
0: So, so, how does object storage help us to do that so how does object storage kind of in, in, in that example how does it it fix those issues that uh, that you would have seen with traditional storage you know you're describing how the massive database that they looked to manage it um, and, and the amount of silos that they were creating uh, how, how does object storage fix that
1: Well, it fixes it by uh, allowing you to have a global namespace uh, across uh, different locations so you know in a, in a file system it 's pretty much has to be within that location, usually that data center for wherever that file system resides. And then if you have another site, you have to copy the information over there. know um, that would be an example of like using DR or something. And you know, file systems, um, they have to stay within sync with of, of each other. So you know, you're, you're having to, to manage now these two separate silos. And if you update a file in one location, you have to update a file in another location. I guess one of the key things with object storage is it works more like a worm, like a write-once-read-many because each file or object is given that unique identifier. Once you write it in there, you don't have to worry about keeping it consistent with, you know, another uh, object. So you can have that single global namespace that multiple lo- locations can share and can, can write and read or put and get, as it's called in object language, files into it.
0: So it sounded, uh, because obviously the the way you gave that example before of the kind of the the photo processing uh, business, Mm -hmm. you know, it it sounds like objects fixing an awful lot of problems there, making, uh, you know, kind of making their storage deployment an awful lot easier. Uh, I mean, where are you seeing um, these kind of object solutions? Where where are you seeing their kind of their biggest impact at the moment? You know, what what kind of industries, what kind of problems are they solving?
1: Yeah, there's, um, you know, some, many common object storage use cases. So one is backup and archival. Object storage systems are you know, cost effective and you know, highly scalable for backup and archive platforms um, over, say, using tape. And then another is enterprise collaboration, right? So geographically dispersed teams. Um, this is the case in the automotive industry uh, where you actually have geographically dispersed quality assurance teams and Now with cars, cars collect so much sensor data. They have cameras on board. uh, They have all types of um, sensors that that are collecting data and it's hundreds of gigabytes, in some cases terabytes of data. uh, And quality assurance teams want to uh, use that data in their quality assurance testing. And so you could have teams Located in three different continents all wanting to share a common repository of sensor data collected from test vehicles, right? Uh, So that type of enterprise collaboration, you know content repositories uh, like with the photo example, but it could also be in the media entertainment industry with all types of uh, movies and Advertisement production, where after the film or the ad is, you know, shot, they want to uh, archive it and keep it in a in a content repository. Um, log storage, um, you know, so keeping track of operating systems uh, and operating system logs uh, as a a large repository. Big data. You see this in the use case of many governments are collecting a lot of information. A lot of that information is imagery and video, uh, and they want to have that around uh, so they can go back and analyze it uh, later. Um, So those are all, you know, real-life examples of common object storage use cases.
0: Yeah, I feel we're going into dangerous territory talking about uh, government maintaining surveillance information. So we'll, we'll move swiftly on. And something you mentioned earlier on that I thought it was really interesting, you talked about how uh, on-premises deployments of object storage um, are outgrowing kind of cloud deployments. Uh, because I think there are lots of the things you talked about there are the kind of things that uh, we'd expect to see uh, in the you know Amazon. Uh, AWS, we'd expect to see maybe from uh, Microsoft Azure, you know, th- those kind of uh, providers of those, you know, because that makes sense. Those kind of massive amounts of files spread across many locations, it makes a lot of sense for that. But if people want to be able to do this on on premises, um, obviously, you know, you, you wait for NetApp. Um, so I'm assuming NetApp have got some solutions that, um, you know, could help somebody who wanted to deploy an a, a on-premises object store.
1: Yes, exactly. Yeah, and there can be a number of reasons why companies want on-prem. Maybe because of a data sovereignty, right? Their information is high, highly proprietary, and they don't want it to be in a public cloud scenario. Um, or it could be, you know, the cost of keeping things in the public cloud, uh, or even performance. If they, um, you know, wanted to have the data more uh, close to their users, so that the performance would be uh, would be better and. NetApp offers an object storage solution called Storage Grid Web scale and uh, Storage Grid for the concept of scale out and web scale, meaning uh, it can scale like the web to hundreds of petabytes uh, all over the world under a single global namespace. And, you know, the important things to take away about, you know, Storage Grid is that it's a software solution first. So it runs on commodity servers, but it's flexible too, and uh, we offer a NetApp-engineered appliance for customers that kind of want that more integrated solution. Um, And it differentiates itself from other object storage solutions because there's um, open source object storage like OpenStack Swift, example, or uh, Red Hat Ceph, and then there's other, you know, commercial object stores too. Storage Grid really distinguishes itself as it has a powerful policy engine that automates managing objects and reduces, if not almost eliminating, the human interaction. Uh, so, uh, you know, you don't have to spend as much time managing your objects. And um, it also offers a superior uh, storage efficiency across geographically distant locations, uh, which translates into a lower cost of ownership when uh, you have multiple locations and they 're spread out uh, you know across the continent or uh, all over the world
0: you made a good, uh, a good point there actually about kind of cost of ownership and I think one of the things that 's always interesting with technologies like this is kind of finding out at what kind of size of deployment that um, something like uh, storage good web scale might make sense, or, or kind of any object storage solution so is there a is it kind of a, a a border of entries or kind of the size of entry where you might want to start considering objects above, uh, above and beyond traditional storage
1: yeah you know I'd say um, initially at least you know a hundred terabytes or more um, to deploy these types of object storage grids you need a minimum of uh, three storage nodes at a single location, and you know a storage node you know may have you know 40 or so uh terabytes in it so you know that's kind of 120 terabytes is kind of a minimum but then you probably would again start to consider it if you had multiple locations probably you know at least two but really three or or more locations so now 120 terabytes at three locations so it's you know 300 or so terabytes or so so somewhere in that 300 to 500 terabytes is kind of, you know, the entry-level point, and then really uh, it allows you to grow from there um, to multiple petabytes and, you know, even upwards to hundreds of petabytes.
0: And is it, um, you know, so if somebody were to start uh, kind of down the, the object storage, there's two kind of quick questions. I appreciate we're, we're kind of coming to the end of our time today. So I mean, one question is how how easy is it to get information into an object store? Because obviously it's not the traditional storage that maybe we as users or our applications are used to. So how do we get information into them? And if we um, if we started with an object storage deployment in maybe we started by using AWS, you know, how easy is that to uh, maybe migrate data into our uh, in, into a new um, kind of you know, if we if we decided we got to the scale where on premises object storage made sense, uh, you know is that an easy migration or is that you know kind of pull it out of one and put it into the other one? So sorry, two questions there, but. Um, yeah. Yeah. You know, so, so how do you get that information into your object store and how easy is it to move data between maybe different object stores?
1: Sure. Well, um, as I mentioned at the beginning, uh, S3 as an object API is really becoming an industry standard. It was created by Amazon. Uh, and it's also what they call their service. That's the most common way of getting information into an object store is by using the S3 API. It's a... OpenAPI and many of new applications that are being developed are are being developed supporting the S3 API and uh, older legacy applications, like in the example of the the company that was storing and and printing photos, they uh, modified their file application to support S3. And that's happening a lot in in, in applications as well. Your application supports S3. The great thing about it being a standard is that information that you uh, put into Amazon, you could also put that information on-prem, being that it's S3, they're, you know, they're compatible. Um, The StorageGood WebScale product offers a NAS bridge, and that's another way to get legacy information into an object store and um, there's also many third-party companies um, that do that and Amazon partners with third-party companies and NetApp partners with with many of the same third-party companies and what they do is provide a bridge from a file system to an object store and allow you to migrate your file data into the object store or in some cases even act as like a gateway and allow your file systems to use the object store as a large content repository.
0: So, uh, I mean, that's great, but I, and I'm aware that uh, this is probably a, a kind of a longer episode than uh, than the, the listeners to this podcast are, are normally used to, but I find it's a fascinating topic, uh, object storage. Um, so uh, maybe so just to kind of wrap up now, and I uh, appreciate uh, you know, your time precious, Robert, and you've, you've got real jobs, to, real work to do today as well. Um, with a um, so, so if people are, are interested in uh, what we've discussed today, uh, and maybe interested to find out how NetApp can help them on this uh, kind of object storage journey. Uh, what's a good place that uh, they can find some resources on this, maybe find some resources on on what NetApp do, maybe even try out uh, some kind of object storage solutions themselves. Uh, and of course what's a good way that maybe they can come and uh, stalk you online if they've got uh, any pertinent questions from today.
1: Sure. Um, you know, the the simplest place to go is netapp.com and uh from our uh, website there under products, uh, just find the selection for object store, um, object storage and click on that. Um, and right there, if you're interested in like getting a demo, there's, there's a request a demo link that you can click on and you know, it'll ask you for your name and some contact information, but uh, that way uh, you will be able to uh, to, to see it work and, and, uh, and also be able to get like a, a not-for-resale license that you could uh, you could try it out. And for me, uh, the simplest way to get a hold of me is my email address, which is uh, Robert.Cox, uh, C-O-X, at NetApp.com.
0: Robert, uh, that's brilliant. Thank you very much for that. And, uh, you know, thank you for staying online a little bit, bit, a little bit longer. Uh, I think we managed to get through that without uh, any more impact from the technology demons. And, um, but, yeah, thanks very much for your time. I think that's a fascinating subject. And, uh, and hopefully the listeners will learn a lot about object storage um, and learn maybe some use cases that they might be able to take advantage of. So uh, thanks for your time. Really appreciate it and look forward to speaking to you again soon. All right. Thanks, Paul. Thanks, Robert. Hope you enjoyed that episode of the Tech Interviews. Uh, do check out the show notes. I'll make sure there's links in there to uh, the resources that Robert mentioned uh, so you can find out more about object storage and what NetApp are doing in that space. And next week, we keep on with the hot IT trends as we talk all about DevOps. So if you want to catch that show, then why not subscribe? You can find us on iTunes or SoundCloud. Hopefully, catch you next week. Thanks for listening.